Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PR Moment Podcast, I'm talking to co-founder of Hope and Glory, James Gordon McIntosh. James went to Cambridge University and then has only really ever had two jobs in PR. First at Fishburne Hedges, the consumer side of which morphed into 77PR, and then he set up Hope and Glory with Joe Carr in 2011. Hope and Glory now has a fee income of approximately £5.5 million. James, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Ben. As I say, James, on the face of it, it's been a pretty linear career, hasn't it? You went to Cambridge, got a nice PR job, got promoted, became MD, and then set up your own gig. How did you manage that? Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, when you say it like that, Ben, it, it does sound terribly linear, doesn't it? I mean, there were, you know, a few um, trip-ups. and I mean, That's um, over 20 years or something, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. it is. There were free, there were inevitably a few um, trip-ups and missteps along the way. I, I, I originally very firmly planned to go into journalism right. um, and, and did respectably well. I got a job um, writing uh, about uh, Brazilian debt equities. Um, for your money, your kind of thing. Um, which was which was very exciting, but it turned out there was there was absolutely no opportunity for overseas travel, and that it was done at unfortunate hours of the day from a desk in London, and was terribly poorly paid, um, as you will know, B two B PR generally is. Um, so I decided to bail out of that, and I, I happened to look at the uh, university careers list, and I, I applied for three jobs, uh, one of which was Fishburne Hedges, which thankfully I got. The other two were in banking. Um, I think one for Deutsche and and one for Chase um, at the time. And uh, I failed the maths tests for both, and found my way into PR. But yeah, no, you're, you're exactly. <laughs> um, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the rest of it has been pretty linear. But um, well, I was reminded of this by my wife actually the other day. We were um, clearing out uh, a, a wardrobe, and, and she found a postcard um, that I uh, had clearly sent to her in the early days of our relationship. All right, uh, two thousand and two, I think she said it was, and uh, and in it I had written the words, "When I start my own PR agency." And then the postcard had gone on, and I'm, I'm still not quite sure what it said. But I think very clearly at that point, three years on into my career, I had already firmly established that an agency of my own was very much the plan. And I think that if you make a plan like that relatively early in your career, then you start to filter out the right options, and you've got a pretty clear idea of what things you're going to take up and what things you're going to turn down when the opportunities to present themselves. Okay. And so, yeah, you're probably right. The rest of it has been has been pretty linear. It's interesting, because uh, I think a lot way. of people have that have that plan, if that's the right phrase, but it's quite often a subconscious plan. But yours was, was right out there on a postcard front of mind. Yeah, I think I was always really clear on it. And so... Why? Why did you always want to... I mean, let's just deal with that. Why, why did you always want to run your own gig? Yeah, I think... Well, I think... Um, yeah, I think sort of two reasons, really. You know, one of which I think was... was um, I joined Fishman Hedges in the last year or maybe two of their earn out having uh they'd sold out to amv bbdo and you know they were halcyon days financially yeah um and and particularly it was owned by omnicom at that point yeah. it was yeah. they so they bought it out and um you know they they were halcyon days they were they were they were great times and you know well, there at were that bonuses, time Fishburne there were hedges people making the, money and all of yeah. those things fishman hedges was the hot shop of its time exactly. you know yeah. the um the structures in place meant that everyone was very well rewarded but i think a lot of people who lived through that time realized that actually that you know the <laughs> The way of making substantial money in the PR industry is is to set up an agency and to run it um, and, yeah, to take the risk, but actually to get the rewards from it. So I'd be lying if I didn't say there was 
you know, a certain financial imperative to do that. Um, But by the same token, I think I'd always thought that it would be fun to run your own ship, to do things your own way, to, I I guess, carve out a niche. Behind that, was was there... Were there things that you saw at Fishburne or other agencies at the time you thought oh, I can do that better? Was that was that a little was there a bit of frustration behind that, or was it a a more positive plan? Yeah, no. There, I mean, I suspect there was probably a bit of frustration. Um, you know, I mean, I I I, I, I will always look back at um, my time at Fishburne Hedges, and I, and I think everyone who reaches a certain vintage in the PR industry should be able to do this, where you say of an early part of your career, which actually may not have been the ideal or the dream, but you still look back and you say, I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't been there then with those people. And I think I will always, always, always look back at Fishman Hedges and hugely appreciate the people and and the stuff that was learned and and all of those things. Um, At the same time, I still remember sitting in my desk... um, overlooking Trafalgar Square as we did at the time thinking actually you know I love the work that some of the consumer agencies are doing and I wish I could get a bit of that and um, that looks like the exciting fun creative vibrant part of of the PR industry and um, and so I guess there was a bit of there was always a bit of a yearning to do that at some point or another because that's the 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 bit I was intrigued about was how for, for people that don't know, Fishburne Hedges was a, a very good corporate PR shop uh, of the day. Um, and you launched, am I right in saying that you, you launched 77 PR? from? Uh, and that that was a... But at that point, you presumably didn't have a huge amount of consumer experience. That That's what I was trying to... The, yeah, no, no, a, I mean, the I, obvious thing to do would have been brought an outsider in who had a bit of consumer PR experience, yeah. but they actually turned to you. So uh, that was well, quite interesting. Sort of, yes. I mean, um, they, I, um, I mean they, they did try that. Um, and um, they, it would be fair to say there was a degree of cultural um, difference um, yeah. between the individual who who joined and, and, and the rest of the team. And, gotcha. and to be honest with you, that became combustible. And right. um and that was an experiment that didn't last. But okay. um, yeah, so there, actually, were, there, was, was, so there were there were four of us who moved across from Fishman Hedges: myself and Guy and uh, Sam um, and uh, and Mark. And um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you know, the closest that we come to consumer brand stuff really was credit cards and and working with BT and working on government behaviour change campaigns. But you know, we'd never done anything with real products or a consumer brand focus. And to that point, I think we were largely making it up as we went along. I think there was always a belief that we could take the Fishburne Hedges model and some of the principles in Fishburne Hedges, you know, the the, the kind of real deep-seated strategy and uh, the kind of cerebral approach that that business really kind of invented in PR, I still think, um, and take that into the consumer space. And it would be fair to say that mixed with that that met with a mixed reaction um, from clients, generally speaking. Um, and we we probably overthought things at the time. Right. Um, but uh, but yes, they, you know, they experimented with bringing in a dyed-in-the-wool consumer um, PR man, and and as I say, that that didn't necessarily last. And then. For various reasons, um, the the other three founders kind of drifted off, and and by the end of it, yes, I was I was sort of last man standing. Although, of course, we were then joined by by Alan Twig, um, who who was a kind of old school consumer brand man, um, and and really helped to reinvigorate that business. Um, and then, of course, by Joe, who joined uh, a year or so later, and uh, and it was really run by that stage by by the three of us. Right, um, and then having got that to I don't know roughly income about was it two million or something like that? Yeah, it was about. I think it was about two two point seven. Looking at 
heading on to kind of three, three and a half by the okay. time that um, the three of us left. Yeah, right. And then you um, you got together with Joe, Joe Carr, um, and launched Hope and Glory. We did in the very end of uh, 2011. The two of us. And was that? I sort of knew you during that period. You you didn't look like. Uh, you, you sort of always had, seemed to have a, a confidence to yourself whilst that was going on. You you looked like a guy who was pretty sure that it was going to work. I think we were always pretty certain. Um, but I also think that, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, it must have been, you know, a massive risk, you know, a real leap of faith, um, you know, to start your own business, start your own agency. And and I quite often find myself saying, look, you know, first of all, you can de-risk it. And we did de-risk it. Um, you know, the, the the guys at Lanson's who have, you know, still got a stake in Hope and Glory um, paid our mortgages um, for, for, for quite some months while we got things started and, and, and up and running. Um, but actually, I think there was always an awareness for Joe and I that if Hope and Glory all went wrong, then we could you know, kind of cut our losses and, and probably just go and get another proper job yeah, exactly. um, somewhere else. So, And the thing with consultancy business is you you, you 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 tend to do these things with a client or two in your back pocket, don't you? So you, you did, when you, did you have you that do. when you started? I, I genuinely, um, and um, Joe and I, I think genuinely wish we, we you know, we had, but uh, no, we were, we were, we were, we were very honest. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be fair to say that although, AMV and, and Omnicom, you know, understood our reasons for departing. Um, you know, there were a few fairly sternly written letters okay. um, yeah. which suggested that if we were to solicit, then there would be, you know, legal repercussions. And, yeah. you know, and this is probably, you know, this is Joe's good influence, I think. Um, you know, we, we never did that. And It's um, one of those, I've seen some people who have done that and they live to regret it because you, it's not one of those things you can you can turn off once you've started. You, you know, if you do it, you're in... It then can all get quite messy, can't it? It gets very messy. And and do you know what? I mean, I think that if you're confident enough of, I guess, partly yourself, partly your partner, um, the person you go into business with, and I think partly of the relationships that you've managed to build and the work that you've done for clients who, you know, might not be at their, uh, you know, client organization anymore, might have moved on, you might have worked with in the past, then, you know, actually, the, the thing I think we found more than anything is that the PR industry is in many ways very generous. And that a lot of people who were former clients, you know, would at least give us a shot at um, at briefs. You know, former colleagues who'd gone in-house would, you know, give us a ring and say, look, you know, you'll be the wild card. I'll be honest with you. But they at least opened the door. And I think that the PR industry, strangely, and you only really find this when you start your own business and you're kind of there mm. cap in hand, is actually an incredibly generous one. It is. It's a friendly industry. No doubt about it. Now, Hope and Glory has, um, I think, sort of successfully waved that cool consumer shop in London um, thing for, I suspect, longer than most others. Um, have you managed that, do you think? Have you kept yourself um, talked about? And cool, and at the the the, um, the, the place to go for, um, for if people want a bit of creativity on that consumer side. Yeah, I was. Um, I was strangely enough. I, I thought you might ask that question. I was kind of mulling this over, and it always sounds so phenomenally trite, doesn't it? But I think it's the work. Um, I really do think it's the work. I think that um, you know, keeping the work fresh and 
keeping momentum behind the work, never becoming too known for one thing, always trying to say, okay, well, we did that last week and it was fun. Let's try not to do it again. And if we have to, then we will. But let's try and find something new. And I think that actually creative momentum is an incredibly important force in the PR industry. I think all too often that... You know, you fall back and agencies can fall back on, you know, the same kind of tried and trusted tech tactics. A video here or you know, something else. It, it's yeah. exactly that. Okay. And, um, and, and look, there are some agencies that do that phenomenally well. I think, though, that if you look at the body of work that Hope and Glory has created over the period and that, the, you know, the team has delivered, there is, you know, there's real range in it now. And I think that, you know, I personally, because... I guess I'm kind of easily bored and and I'm a neophile. I just love new stuff. You know, I think that's one of the things that I'm proudest of. I think there is that sense of, you know, what should we do? You know, what should we do today? We could do bloody anything, you know, and and what an amazing opportunity and gift we have to do pretty much anything. You know, let's come up with something fresh. Um, And I think there's also a degree of um, I mean, this is the point at which I, I, I realize that I might be getting old where. I, I contemplate analogies that I realise your younger listeners will probably not recognise, but um, there's a degree of cobbler's children in the PR industry. Um, they always say that cobbler's children have the worst shoes. Um, and I think that uh, generally, you know, PR industry um, norm is that PR agencies generally have the worst PR. Um, we don't do that brilliant, brilliantly well. And I think that you know, I learned, and again, you know, this is kind of going back to 2002. Okay, well, how do agencies that get talked about get talked about? Um, kind of watch and learn. And, um, you know, you, you used to watch Red back in the day, you know, in their heyday of their kind of consumer brand work. Um, they were outstanding for getting their work talked about, and they were totally unashamed about it. It was brilliant. Um, you know, Mark Borkowski back in the day, you know, always talked about his work, was very proud of it and, and, and built his agency on the back of that. Uh, the guys at Taylor Herring, you know, I've always admired the way that they go about doing their own PR. And and I think we adopted that in Hope and Glory. You know, oh. I think we, we were unashamed about talking about um, our successes. You know, we've always been very frank about um, our less successful moments as well. I think you have to do that if you're going to play the game. You've got to take the rough with the smooth. But but actually, I think there is that sense that, you know, we, we should be an industry that's a little bit prouder of the work that we do sometimes and, and perhaps a little a little less humble. Yeah. Um, you know, we should always pay our dues and be grateful for what we've got. But, um, but you know, this industry creates some phenomenal work. It does. I mean, just um, let's deal with that now then. The, you've talked about creativity a lot there. Um, and I, I don't know, are you, I, I'm sure there's lots of creative people within um, hope and glory. So I suppose it's a sort of two two point pronged question. In a sense, how do how do you personally keep your your creative ideas flowing? If that's if that's the right way of putting it. Um, and then as an agency that has, uh, I suppose, frankly, monetized the the idea of of coming up with ideas. Um, how do you how do you structure that within hope and glory? Well, I think. Um I think the two things probably go hand in hand, actually. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, as a business, yes, we have invested in, in you know, all of the usual things that creative agencies, you know, invest in, um, you know, facilitation training and creative sessions and, you know, and all of those wonderful things. And, and that has undoubtedly, I think, um, you know, reaped its rewards and has its it? benefits. But, okay. but I also think... But that's think ongoing, presumably, right? That yeah, is ongoing, a, yeah. of course. But, I, you know, I think there's a really... I think there's a really important... Um, thing which is which is often overlooked, which is which is just curiosity. 
And I think, you know, both from a personal perspective and I think the best ideas in the agency come from the people who are curious. You know, the people who take an interest in the workings of the world um, quite often have a pretty diverse range of interests outside of work, read a lot, watch a lot, and then manage to apply that to the problems that we're presented with from clients. And it's those wonderful moments where someone will, I don't know, come up with some strange reference to some TV show that they happen to be watching and suddenly apply it to a to a client problem um, or, you know, just dredge up some curious piece of information that they've picked up along the way and, and, and apply that to a problem and all, all of a sudden come up with this, you know, amazing kind of creative idea and, and kind of off you go. So I think, you know, real kind of curiosity about how, how brands work, how clients work, you know, what's going on for a client, but then also that, that kind of curiosity about the outside world. And I think that if there's anything that, that we look for, um, it's, you know, it's people who are curious about stuff. And I think that's what, you know, ultimately, I think that's a, a lot of that is what, what leads, you know, to, to good ideas um, and also to, to kind of fresh ideas, new yeah. stuff. And is there, uh, I suspect, I know how you're going to answer this, but is there, who's coming up with the ideas within the business? Is it is it a, a leadership team or is it... Um, more contributory around the business than that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, well, look, I mean, I, I think first of all that you know, creativity is not a process. Delivery of a creative idea is a process, but creativity itself, I don't think you can systematize, paint. turn into a process. You I know, know, I, I know I, you a couple know, of people who disagree with that. One hundred percent, and okay. and you know, I'm, I, I, yeah, so, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. not an issue. But in your in your I, view, it's you know, not. I think, which is interesting. You know, I think yes, we have systems and we have processes to try and elicit creativity. Sometimes they work, sometimes they fail. At the same time, you know, people need to be curious and creative, I think, outside of those processes, because I think that there is a huge risk that you try and systematize or process drive creativity. And everyone who is creative and has creative ideas will tell you that they have their best ideas in the shower or in the tube uh, on their way to work or when they're out for a run or when they're going for a swim in the morning, whatever it may be. That's when the idea is coming. You you can't systematize that. What you can systematize, though, I think, is getting people to think about work problems and creative problems in that time sure and i think that's the important and thing. and as you've said opening their minds to creativity in other forms that may have an application in what you do from yeah. all sorts of places and i think that's the important thing but but i also think that um you know in answer sorry to your original question where do those ideas come from some of them yes come out in creative sessions which are brilliantly facilitated and put together um others come out from a cup of coffee with two or three people um mulling over a problem because they happen to own it and they have a particularly vested interest in solving it sometimes they'll come from someone bouncing in in the morning and saying i've had this idea on the tube um so it's not so, yeah, there's not there's, one there's, way i don't and i don't think there should be one no, way agreed. you know yeah. i think agencies that try to impose one system and process on creative ideas do, do don't they? work i, don't I hope think, not no. i really hope not okay um it's easy to overlook these things i think sometimes um but to grow a business from well, clearly on day one zero zero fee income to to now five and a half million in seven years takes a serious amount of work um you know these, these, these it can become monopoly money if you're not careful that's that's a 
that's a big achievement and it's a tough thing to do. How have you done Thank it? You. What's the? Uh, I'm not suggesting there's a secret. I mean, you know, again, there, there, you know, there, there are, you know, all the obvious answers. I guess, you know, we, we have a genuinely, we have a phenomenal team of people who. You know, a lot of whom I count as friends, um, all of whom I've I've got a lot of respect for, and and I think getting that right has always been really important. Um, we've got, you know, the leadership team's pretty well. It's pretty strong. It, you know, well, I mean, it yes, was very you know, strong, there's, there's but you, you put it, it it hasn't changed that much since it, the early couple of years. Do you know has what? It? it really hasn't changed a great deal. You know, there was there was obviously myself and Joe, and then Adrian um, Chitty joined us um, relatively early on, and then um, Gavin, um, and the, the four of us remain the partners. Um, and then we've now got another handful on the board, um, right. but they have been, you know, they've been with us for quite a long time, you know, and, um, and, so and st- that's been stability is one. Stability is really important. The right people around you is, is very important. I think though But that, a hunger and a, a thirst for new business is another thing, isn't you, it? Because you've uh, got to, to, to grow a business that quickly is, a consultancy business that quickly takes... You know, on a basis, you're not going to keep all your clients. You've got to win a lot of briefs there, haven't you? Oh, look, we, I mean, we've always been really fortunate that we've kept most of our clients. Okay. Um, you know, so I think we've lost three, three maybe four clients in the seven years um, Sorry, that were retained. Big clients? Or? Retained clients. Okay. Um, and, um, oh. and, and that's always been really important. You know, we have always said that um, clients first and foremost, and we will turn down briefs. Uh, we turned down. This is not smug or conceited, but we we turned down more briefs last year than we pitched for. Um, and while it's painful to do that every time, I think that there is also culturally a sense of you know actually we take care of our existing clients that pay the bills that we're committed to, and to a degree we take care of the team. Um, right. We don't overwork them, and and that's always been important. And I think that undoubtedly has always given a foundation. So we're never kind of constantly chasing our own tails because clients are leaving the building, um, and and long may that continue. Um, yeah, you're right. There is a hunger for new business. There is a kind of momentum. There is a drive for um, you know wanting to do the next thing. Um, you know, it's the kind of it's the it's the Woody Allen in uh, in Annie Hall, isn't it? Um, where they're the couple are breaking up and, and they say, you know, a shark has to move through the water um, to stay alive. And what we have here is a dead shark. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I, I mean, I think new business from that perspective is kind of to a degree the lifeblood. You know, yeah. if you stop pitching for too long, then agencies stultify, I think. Um, and, and likewise, if they win a really big client, which kind of overwhelms the business for yeah. a while and you're not getting new and fresh stuff in, then then again, you know, businesses can stultify. They they, they kind of drown under yeah. the, that, their own weight. It's a difficult balance, actually, for creative. But it's always a fine – it's a yeah. very fine balance. I think that we've, if, if everyone's working at 100% in a sense that you can't the, – the, the, the quality of ideas go, to, the quality go. of pitches go, yeah. you know, the quality of client service goes, you know, it's all the little things, the cracks start to appear. But, but I also think that um, it's also about pitching and, and – fortunately winning you know the right work you know we've always said that we want to work with clients that deliver fun fame and fortune and we've also always acknowledged that uh, it's quite rare that you get all three of those and that fortune doesn't have to be one of them you know we will still have fun and fame clients Um, but I think just holding true to those principles I think wherever we've got it wrong has been where we've compromised on one of those Okay. Um, and um, and have thought that a client might be more fun or or might be a little braver um, than than perhaps it turned out they were, and and that's you know that's where um, 
you know, that's where things go wrong. So I always think that you've got to have those principles. But actually, principles are very easy to have. They're very easy to, you know, print on posters and stick around the office. They're, yeah. they're much, much harder to stay true to. Yeah. Um, but Especially I think staying true to, to those things is, is, you know, success in the end. Sure. Um, you sort of touched on it a bit there, but anything else you do differently next time around? Do you know what? I think not a lot. Okay. Um, and not, not, nothing you can admit to on this podcast. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I uh, no, I do you know what? Genuinely, not you know, not a lot. I, you know, um, I think that um, I've always been a big believer that you know you you, you kind of make decisions. Um, sometimes they might be fifty fifty decisions, but you kind of go one way. Actually, the important thing is to make the decision. And then to live with and make the most of the consequences. So I think there are very, very few things, if any, that I can think of that um, either Joe or I would kind of look back on and say, yeah, you know what? We really got that one badly wrong. Um, Wouldn't do that again. Um, Of course, you learn some lessons along the way, but but I don't think there's anything that's dramatically different. No. You mentioned Joe there. I mean, it's a uh, your partnership with Joe Carr s- seems to to work brilliantly. It, it's one of those partnerships where you you very obviously seem to complement each other. Uh, well, I mean, Joe Joe probably wouldn't say that. I okay. I, I clearly don't compliment her nearly enough. Um, whereas she's always very generous with her compliments to me. Um, no, we are. Um, I, I like to think we're a good partnership. I hope Joe thinks we're a good partnership. Um, I think that. Um, I think there's a there's a real um, weakness amongst um, you know people who reach a certain level in in this business, actually in any business, where they are very sure of their own skill set and their own abilities, um, and um, what they all too often do, I think, is devalue or diminish the things that they're not good at. And I think it's almost to prop up their own egos. Um, You know, it's kind of like that sense of, well, I'm not very good at that, but it's okay. I'm going to dismiss it because I don't think it's important. And I've never really been one to do that. I don't think Joe's ever been one to do that. And I think that I recognize that there is stuff that Joe does so phenomenally well that I do at best averagely. And sometimes I don't even reach that level. Um, But I've got enormous respect for the skills that she does bring. You know, I I admire those skills enormously. I'm quite jealous of some of them. Um, And so I think, yeah, we, you know, we do from that perspective complement each other, you know, rather than have, you know, that kind of tense working relationship, um, which is which is important. Which is important in a partnership partnership. because you you don't always I mean, you and Joe did know each other pretty well before you went into into business together. But that's not always the case. I'm, I'm quite often surprised the partners that you how partnerships came came to be um, with people who don't you wouldn't necessarily put together. But um, no, but I think that's true. And, yeah, I, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I think um, you know, looking back on it, um, you know, Joe, Joe and I ultimately, as a as a partnership, were were kind of put together um, by um, strangely enough by by um, by a couple of um, Fishburne Hedges directors who, when you know, seventy seven was was being run by myself and Alan Twig, which. Yeah. You know, which was fun, um, if slightly. But you're you chaotic. Two are a bit more. Yeah, you're quite similar um, aren't you? in, in personality and, type. Yeah, I. You know, I. 
the agency was a lot of fun, um, yeah. if a little chaotic. Um, and I think that what um, the, the the two people in question who who met Joe recognised was that she is a phenomenal stabilising force. She brings some order to the proceedings. That she brings, you know, order order <laughs> to order to the chaos. Um, and that actually we should we should meet, and, and we did, and we got on um, uh, famously. But 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 you know, I mean, strangely enough, that is still true. Um, you know, for a long time. Um, neither Joe nor I, well, first of all, were allowed to go on holiday at the same time when we were starting the business. Um, but also we restricted ourselves to one week holidays for for, um, for quite a long time, actually, probably four and a half, five years. And um, and eventually I think we reached a point where, where we felt that this was going to be OK and we'd, you know, we'd survive um, without each other for that full two week period. But um, speaking to the team after that, um, what all of them said was that at the end of the two-week period without Joe, the whole agency had a certain manic energy about it. And first of all, I hadn't kind of recognized it. And second of all, I quite enjoy the manic energy. Mm. I quite enjoy this like kind of chaotic, what should we yeah. do next kind it's of good for a period, attitude. Isn't it? And that's great. But you, um, you and it's can't. fun. But actually, you speak to the team, and they were so grateful that Joe was back to right. somehow... I think she acts as a sponge for, you know, a certain kind of manic energy that can be negative, actually, yeah. and, um, and and somehow allows the kind of creative, productive energy to, to flow in the business. But literally, she soaks it up. Okay. You know, she sits in a corner and, um, and, and brings a, a degree of, of calm to the place. Okay. Since you, you launched Hope and Glory seven years ago um, as a, a, a consumer PR shop, um, frankly, uh, how have you adapted to the, the rapidly evolving trends uh, in, in digital and social media that we've seen? Um, well, I'm not. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean? We still say this in 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 the kind of agency int- introduction bit of um, of the about hope and glory. You know, we were an agency that you know we're, we're we're still only six and a half years old. We were kind of as an agency, I guess, born digitally native. Um, you know the only I guess really major network although lots of things have happened obviously um, that, that that has come about since we started was was I guess Snapchat um, and you yeah, know and our, first, thought, and our first big idea I suppose was um, oh bless it way back in the day was was you know was O2 Santa which was based on Twitter and based on YouTube you know right. we, we kind of went out and um, were you know were relatively chilled out about which channels we happen to be using from day one. And I think that's, all, you know, that's always been the case in the agency. I, I think that you know, a lot of people talk about, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, a lot of people talk about creativity. And creativity is okay. I'm much more interested in ideas. And I think that good ideas... What do you, what do you, what do you explain your, the difference in your uh, People talk about there. creativity as this kind of you know, ethereal thing. Um, that that just kind of floats about. Okay. So ideas Whereas is I'm, a specific. You know, I'm really interested in ideas, which right. is just the specific thing that you're going to do that solves the problem. And you know, I don't. I I, I think we will always describe ourselves as an ideas agency. Yes, creativity lies behind that, but but sometimes actually the idea isn't worldly creative. It's just the right one. Mm. Um, and and so I always look at that. But well, a lot of creativity that, is, is obvious in hindsight, isn't it? It's one of those yeah, a lot of the one time. of those things. Yeah, it's it's, it's rare you see a creative idea. It's, it's very easy to see afterwards. But I, but I also think that you know we what we look for is great ideas, not necessarily great creativity. Yeah. And I think yeah. you you yeah. can I can see that you know that there is a difference between those two things. But I also think that great ideas 
you know, should be able to go across, you know, editorial, social, digital, yeah. increasingly, you I mean, know, that, interpaid. That, that's kind of the background uh, to what you're saying is that the, the idea, in a sense, although although actually you're you're saying that perhaps the, the, the rate of change in terms of social and digital isn't quite as rapid as I'm suggesting because in, in the six and a half years you've been going, only, it's only Snapchat as a new launch. So there's, there's that element to it. And you're also saying that the a good creative idea works across all channels. I've always that, thought that. Yeah. I, you know, I Which think great sense, ideas, you yeah. know, have always had the power to do that. Okay. Um, I, you know, I also happen to think that, um, you know, that, of course, look, lots of things have changed, you know, within each of the kind of social channels in terms of how they're used, who uses them, all of those wonderful things. Um, the other thing, of course, that's happened is that, you know, clients have become so phenomenally sophisticated now um, in okay. their kind of social and digital use. So that has forced us to adapt and, and change what we do, change what we offer um, and, and change the role that we play. Um, you Does know, that mean you, you've had, your work has had to have greater impact than it or tangible impact than it, it, it had it used to back in the day. Is that what you mean by that? Or? Yeah, I think I think to a degree, I, I think that, um, I mean, take our work for Adidas, for example. You know, Adidas are, you know, one of the leading brands in their use of, you know, social and digital and the, I guess, the sophistication with which they work with influencers. And, you know, they've got huge heritage and history in that. In that. But um, I think the value that we add to them is, is perhaps bringing an outsider's perspective and, you know, bringing different ways of doing things uh, and great contact. Um, for other clients, you know, which are, are perhaps less well set up internally, you know, we are still helping them to manage their channels and do all of those good things um, and still coming up with ideas to, to try and get people talking through them. Okay. Um, but, you know, has all of that become more measurable? Yeah, I think there's always a, I think there's always demand for greater measurability. Um, I'm not sure the industry's come up with anything much better than when I started, if I'm completely honest with you in many ways. But, um, but yeah, that, you know, there is undoubtedly a much, much greater need for accountability. Sure. But I think that at the same time, the skills that we now deliver to clients have, you know, have changed over time. Sure. But that's as much to do with the clients as it is to do with the different channels that we're using. Right. Okay. Um, do you worry about the impact of Brexit on the UK economy now, Not over the next couple of years? <laughs> <laughs> Not especially. Okay. Um, yeah. I, look, I mean, I, I suspect everyone does. I, you know, I, I um, you know, I said a, a little bit earlier that you know you. Um, you sometimes make a call, even if it is 50-50, and then you make the best of the decision that is there in front of you. Um, you know, undoubtedly, there will be huge challenges. Uh, undoubtedly, there will be huge opportunities. Um, you know, if I was, uh, if I had international ambitions, I'd probably be thinking about setting up a, a satellite office in Amsterdam right now. Um, seems to be uh, the place to go uh, if you're a major international brand owner looking for a relocation of your um, London base. But um, but no, I think that, um, you know, there will still be a need for our services. I think that, you know, the economy may dip. But strange enough, PR, you know, as anyone who's knocked around for long enough in the industry, you know, does does pretty well even in the dark times economically. Okay. Um, Hope and Glory are, are part of a... I'd say a group of, of independent consumer shops in London that seem to be producing, well, at, at least as a, an industry fan, what I would describe as, 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 as good creative, integrated work. 
Um, do you feel that that you and your competitors, I guess, uh, are up against the ad agencies for bigger budgets and, and that more ambitious work, or is that uh, that's still work in progress? I think it's still work in progress. Um, I think at the margins, it's it's already happened. You know, I think. What do you mean by margins? I think, for example, if you look at social and digital content, okay, you know, we are undoubtedly creating more of it of a higher standard. Um, than ever before and of a higher standard than a, some ad agencies I would hope so yeah, yeah. Um, and and at a higher standard you know not just at a lower cost I think that's that's always the great risk right yeah. um, and I don't think it's a solely financially motivated decision on clients parts now and that's the important thing from from my perspective um, so I think that the quality of the work is undoubtedly there I think you know you sort of hinted at it there where would that work have gone historically yeah it would probably have gone to the creative ad agency possibly to a specialist social or digital agency but actually it's it's come to us so I think from that perspective yes that's happening um, you know at the same time are we seeing you know money that might formerly have gone to the ad agency um, coming to PR rather than those places in the middle where it could go one way or the other? Right. Uh, no, I don't think money is dramatically shifting across. Good. Not yet, um, but you know, and as agencies are, are always very proud, um, you know, to say, you know, there are a number of creative agencies that are now creating, you know, above the line work um, for their clients. We. I'm very pleased to say, uh, did a you know did a couple of um, TV spots for a couple of clients, which you know we're we're super pleased with. There are other agencies that you know that um, have gone out and won awards lately for for their content led work, which is which is brilliant. So when I say at the margins, I think it's first of all at the margins where it could have gone to the ad agency or it, the money could have come to us, but it's kind of new money. Yeah. Well, that's and important. Yes, we've got isn't our it? Share if of you're that. expanding the market, absolutely, but... and I think that's really important. I think. The other bit at the margins is there are signs, you know, there are, and there may be small signs. You know, it's not like we're going to be taking on AMV no. anytime soon, having knocked out as an industry three or four TV ads. No. But perhaps the signs are there. Okay. Um, and just a, a, a final question: What have we got over your career? Um, or, or possibly, I get yeah, frankly, biased towards your, your time at Hope and Glory. What are the two pieces of work you're, you're most proud of? Well, you know what? I mean, strangely enough, one of them is actually pre predates Hope and Glory, um, and um, and I'll always be incredibly uh, kind of smug about it, to be honest with you. Um, first of all, because I just know it was my idea. You know, there are so many times when you know, uh, you know, uh, s- success has has many mothers, right? And um, and failure is an orphan, as they say. But um, but this one, I can genuinely claim for myself because uh, it was for Jersey Tourism. And we were pitching for them. Um, and I happened to be watching, I think it was the BBC 10 o'clock news. And I just happened to notice that the weather map, as it was back then, didn't go across the island of Jersey. And I suddenly thought, oh, my goodness, I wonder how many millions of pounds the tourism industry of Jersey is missing out on because no one knows that they have the best weather in the British Isles, which incidentally they do. And... Um, I went back in um, the following day and and said to whoever the pitch team was, I've had this idea, like I think it's a winner. And we went in and we won the pitch with it. And it's quite rare that you come out of a pitch and deliver exactly the idea that you pitched. It it tends to get messed about with somewhere along the line. But that was exactly the idea that we pulled together. It was exactly the idea that we delivered to the 
to the client and the media went mental and the Daily Mail and the Guardian loved bashing the BBC. The BBC did some fantastic self-flagellation. Um, you know, ITV weather did a special forecast for Jersey on the day. <laughs> and, you know, I, it, it cost nothing. Um, but it was one of those moments of being curious and also just having your brain switched on a lot yeah. of the time because I happened to be watching the weather and put two and two together and came up with a client campaign. So so I think that's one of them. Um, I'm bound to always love O2 Santa because I still think it was the... It was it was the making of hope and glory in many ways. It okay. was our first campaign. It was for O2, and that was brilliant. But I also was it your always first campaign. I didn't know that. Yeah, time. pretty much. I did it. it. Was the first I did it. I, I was. I, I can't you participated. I, I participated. That's the phrase. There yeah. you go. I mean, that's the thing that always just makes me so chuffed. But um, what was it? What were the numbers on that? What, what was it? Was it on Twitter? Was it? Was that what it? I yeah, it was yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. I, do you know what? I can't remember. I, I, I and it was good numbers. Was it? It, it was, was good it numbers. Wasn't, it wasn't just bluff. It was. It, no, it, it was it like properly good. I remember making one thousand two hundred. Santa films in a week <laughs> in a dark meeting room um, with uh, with Jem who was a former Harrod Santa and um, was in a Santa suit the full week Poor under guy. full film lights and just became increasingly sweaty and smelly. Mm. Um, it was it was not an, an entirely happy experience. Um, but then at the same time, you know, we uh, we always say it sounds so trite, doesn't it? We always say that the best piece of work will be the next one. There's always another idea. There's always a better one. We'll always do better. And, I, you know, I think that culture is really important in Hope and Glory. You know, yeah, we've done some great stuff. We've got shelves of awards and that's brilliant. We've got a portfolio and a website we're proud of. But, yeah, the best idea always has to be the next one, Ben. Uh, what happens when, I suppose, when, when you don't feel like that anymore, it's, it's time to stop, isn't it? I think it probably is. Or, or, or I'll be dead. <laughs> I, gen- I genuinely think that. My wife I, I will ra- say... I was about you know, to wrap it up there. My wife will... On it, I don't think so. My <laughs> wife will always say, um, uh, Anita, bless her, will always say, James, you know, you're never going to stop work. Are you? You're never going to stop. Okay. There is never going to be the beach house in the south of France. Is that right? And Because um, that, uh, that's my plan, but you're, you're going to just keep going, you reckon? I don't think I can. Okay. I really like it. Right. This is a brilliant, brilliant industry. You know, I mean, so often the team look at each other and go, what are we doing here? Like, how did this happen? This is not a proper job. And then they kind of say, are we being paid to do what we're doing right now? And I have to explain that, yes, it's OK. Um, uh, and, and it's the great joy of the industry that we're in. Um, but at the same time, no, that, I don't, I don't point, think we should actually. ever stop having ideas. It's a good point, isn't it, that fun is a, is a crucial part of, of work in general, actually. But definitely uh, to, in consumer PR and the create, to, to make it creative or ideas or whatever you want to call it, people need to be enjoying what they're doing. Otherwise, it becomes next to impossible, doesn't it? A hundred percent. And all too often, I think that, um, you know, it's something that I extol furiously. You know, as an industry, this is one of the best to have ideas in, right? And, okay, that's that's partly because we're cost effective, okay? Okay. But if you go to a ton of ad agencies and you sit and you talk with creative directors, you know, who have made kind of famed spots, they don't get to do that very often. Right. You don't see much work out there in culture being talked about. And when you do come up with a brilliant idea, it's focus grouped and it's market researched and, you know, it's put through the ringer. And, and that's right, because someone somewhere is about to spend, I don't know, five million pounds, 10 million pounds, 20 million pounds yes. on media. Okay. That means a lot of people are going to see it. Right. But in, in I have never that, had a piece of my work focus grouped. Yeah, okay. okay, I've had clients but critique sort of, it or, sort of or, or develop it or whatever. But actually, as a creative person, we have 
enormous power. We we are given the best opportunity. And in the grand scheme of things, with relatively little oversight. Okay. And do you know what? We we should never give that up. It's okay. it's the most phenomenal gift as a marketing services business. James Gordon McIntosh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.